Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shibu Blani, the co-founder and CEO of Osmosis, and today I'm really happy to be joined on Raise the Line by Donna Meyer, who's the CEO of the Organization for Associate Degree Nursing. Before assuming leadership of Odin five years ago, she spent more than three decades as a leader in health sciences education and also has a background in pediatric nursing. So Donna, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to have a chat this afternoon. And so as I was um, speaking about before, we're really excited about the work that you and your team at Odin are doing. And like Osmosis, uh, it's very clear that you're super mission-driven and, and value-aligned. And so I just had a couple of questions so that our audience could get to know you and Odin better. And the first is very high level. Can you just tell us more about yourself, your career, and your current role at Odin, what, what Odin's mission truly is? Well, as far as um, my career, um, as was mentioned, I was a pediatric nurse. I worked at St. Louis Children's Hospital in the infectious disease unit. So right now, what's good, what is happening I is dear to my heart because I, I feel for those nurses, you know, almost every day as at the hospital, I was wearing total garb when I was a nurse practicing. Um, but then what happened, you know, I became really interested in education because we had a lot of students that came and rotated through the clinicals. And so I really became interested in that and then went into a faculty role, although I still stayed working as a nurse um, and then ultimately director and then a dean of health professions at a college in Illinois. So I've been very passionate about, I'm still passionate about nursing and I think that's what is so very important. Also, I've done some mission trips to Guatemala that I'm very, you know, I think are really important for nurses to do. So I've been at Odin for five years, although I was um, past president there and actually in volunteer positions. And, you know, Odin is really the only national nursing association that truly advocates for community college nursing programs across the country. And at this time, we are still educating about 51 to 52% of the nursing workforce when they begin practicing. Of course, we totally encourage and want our graduates to continue their education to get, you know, bachelor's, master's degree, become nurse practitioners, nurse anesthetists, you know, get their doctorate. But it is a really important pipeline to have nurses begin at the community college because you know, as we know, the United States is extremely rural. We have lots of areas and those community colleges are embedded in those communities. I had no idea about those statistics. That's really, really impressive. And so, you know, I know you already mentioned that uh, given your background in pediatric nursing, that COVID-19 and what your colleagues are dealing with is very close to your heart. I'm curious, like, how has this pandemic impacted the work that you all do at Odin and what resources have you all created to you know, help those in your organization uh, deal with that? Well, you know, first of all, I think one of the first things we did was um, like many organizations created a COVID landing page that has many, many resources. And it's not so much that we totally created resources. You know, sometimes it's better to collaborate and partner with the experts. And so we've been working with, you know, experts in simulation to provide webinars. We've actually partnered with the American Association of Colleges of Nursing, which is baccalaureate in higher ed, in doing webinars for all of our members, both from the universities as well as the community colleges. 
You know, we have resources on simulation. We actually partner with many different organizations that, you know, provide uh, simulation tools, virtual simulation. So making sure those are all available kind of on a one-stop landing page for our members, as well as putting up information about advocacy and work from the National Councils of State Boards of Nursing and anything we can. We've also provided some different town hall forums and we're going to be doing another one next week also for our members in a way to communicate. That's a lot. Yeah, you guys have been busy for sure. (laughs) All those resources sound fantastic and I've personally gone to the site and visited them as well and we've spoken to Brian on your team who's been really helpful with regard to resource sharing. One other thing that is very much on top of people's minds is in the last month, we've seen over 20 million people in the U.S. file for unemployment. And some people are wondering whether this is maybe a good opportunity not only to kind of wait to then get your jobs back, but to think about reskilling or upskilling. And I'm curious if Odin or, or you have any thoughts about whether this pandemic is maybe an opportunity to attract more people to go into the field of nursing, get their associates in nursing. You know, I think it's going to be interesting to tell. It's challenging right now, I think, to know. I think there's the, you know, people out there that are saying, oh, I wish I could do something. You know, I've talked to people who said, I wish I was a nurse that I could help more. So I do think there will be some of that. I'm also, though, realistically concerned that some of the people who have been on that front line as nurses might say, hmm, maybe I'll stay in the profession, but maybe I'll do something different. So I think, you know, there's two ways to look at it. I also know that our programs are working diligently to make sure that the people that are supposed to graduate in May indeed graduate, um, because we know there's going to be a great need for the nursing workforce. So they are working hard to make sure they meet their outcomes and can get ready to take that national licensing exam. Actually, that's how we first got connected. I remember was we saw that you and, and Odin had co-signed kind of a policy brief around the fact that so many nursing students would not be able to finish their, their degrees because of the pandemic. That actually is a good transition to the next question I had, which is, you know, given that you all represent so many faculty, schools and nursing students, you know, what are some of the considerations that they've had to go through in just recent weeks or the next few months as well to actually finish and become productive contributors on the front line? I think one of the biggest things is the transition in the educational mode as far as, you know, they had to do more simulations in clinical, which, you know, they weren't prepared to do. I mean, they were prepared to continue to go, you know, to the hospital, the community setting, the long-term care setting. Some are still able to do that, but they had to augment the education with simulation. And that in itself is a challenge because, Every state looks at things differently for your nursing education programs and how you're approved. So for example, in one state, they might allow 50% simulation, whereas in another state, it might say 15 or 20%. So one of the things we had to really talk to our members about, making sure they communicate with their state boards of nursing and their accrediting body to make sure that maybe they could ask for waivers you know, so that they could do more simulation. And that is one thing. Uh, The policy brief that you're talking about that the National Council of State Boards of um, Nursing spearheaded, along with 10 other nursing organizations, was trying to have students become employees, and then they would also gain academic credit. 
So I thought that was a wonderful thing to do um, because it's helping those students get the experience, also getting them some income. It's helping the healthcare facilities with more employees, people who are really, you know, have the knowledge and the expertise already. That's a really good point and something that we're talking a lot about at osmosis, which is how many of the changes that we're seeing happening kind of in real time, things that would normally have taken months, if not years to get through that are happening in the span of days or weeks. How many of those changes are going to persist after COVID-19, after all the craziness dies down versus are we going to go back to a new normal? And I'm curious, in your opinion, like having been through maybe other crises, maybe nothing like this before, you know, what are some things you're thinking about that will be persistent versus maybe things that will go back to normal? Well, you know, it's very interesting. Yesterday, Odin has a research committee and they had their call yesterday. And so I was on the call. I try to, as much as possible, get on the committee calls. And we actually had a conversation about that because this committee is made up of deans and directors and faculty of Odin schools. And we were talking about the fact that you know, they've gone to online, which they hadn't done. The fact about, you know, will students demand more of this online? Because maybe in some ways it's easier for them. They can do their online education at two o'clock in the morning, as opposed to going to a nursing class at 11 o'clock in the morning. You know, what will that transition be? And so our idea was that we want to start looking at some research, perhaps because, you know, we've had their traditional student and now, you know, we have this data that's going to be coming out. And as we know, there are many nursing programs that are online, but they're not pre-licensure per se, like we are. They're, you know, for RN to BSN or master's or doctorate in nursing practice and that type of thing. So I do think there might be some shift where there'll be a little bit more possibly online and maybe you can augment with simulation and things. I still think there's going to be, you know, that face-to-face, hands-on type of experience because it's very important. But I think we're going to see more innovation and more flexibility, although I have to say I feel like the community colleges have always done a really good job of that. Yeah, we we work with a couple of community colleges, and I definitely agree. That's where a lot of the innovation seems to be, and and a lot of the, the very earnest, genuine educators we've met. You know, you also mentioned that there was a double-edged sword maybe where because of COVID, more people may want to come into the professions of nursing and other health professions, but also because of COVID, there may be more burnout or people who who realize that Mm -hmm. the risk is very high, the amount of student debt they're incurring is high. The world has changed in that people are looking at health professionals in a way that I don't think has, they've been looked at before. Like the true importance of that career is, has come to light. Do you think there will be policy changes that maybe address issues that were persistent before COVID, like burnout of nursing, nurse turnover? What are are you seeing there? Well, you know, we have had some issue with burnout and nurses leaving the profession and that type of thing. So, you know, I think it's going to make people more aware. The American Nurses Association, and we're an affiliate of ANA, they've done an exceptional job, and I think they continually will definitely um, do that and really monitor this and see what needs to be done at a policy level. You know, we're more in the education piece of it and they're more in the healthcare spectrum and practice piece. 
Um, and I think we're going to, you know, I mean, they've done a lot on the PPE shortage. You know, we did too in a small way by doing a call to action, trying to get our community colleges to donate equipment to their local healthcare facilities. Whereas ANA is really looking at the policy part of it. And we support, you know, that because it, we're an affiliate of ANA. Yeah, ultimately, all of your learners eventually become members of them. And so uh, that makes a lot of sense. We've done some stuff on the PBE side as well. We work with Thrive Global, uh, which is Ariana Huffington's group that has something called First Responders First. And so we've done a lot of awareness campaign to donate, get money donated for PPE. So that's great to hear. Student debt is a big issue uh, in my world of where we started with medical education. The average medical student graduates with $200,000 median debt. And so that there's a lot of evidence that that shifts people's desire and what careers they want to choose. Do they want to practice in a rural or urban setting and that kind of stuff? I'm not as familiar with, with Odin's view on student debt, but I'm curious, is that an issue that faces associate's degree nurses right now? Student debt, I think, is always an issue because, um, first of all, you know, in the community colleges, we have a lot of students that are first-time generation college students. And, you know, we're trying to serve a very diverse population. And even though our tuition dollars, it's less to go to a community college, for example, I'm going to just kind of say, you know, depending on what community college and where you're at in the country, you could, you know, get a nursing degree for $10,000. You could become a registered nurse, graduate from a program for around there anywhere, which is obviously you know, a lot less than a university. Community colleges are so important for them to begin their education. And again, as I said at the beginning of the comments, we still want them to continue their education. But again, even though, you know, maybe it's 10 to 15,000, somewhere in there, there's still debt involved, you know. And for some of these people, they're a single parent. You know, there's so many issues. I mean, I had students that were really living out of their cars in that type of situation when they were going to school. I had a, a student, great student. He was a young man who had three children. His wife just left him. And, you know, he's got three children and is trying to go to school to provide food, basically, for his family. So I think it's all relative as far as that debt. There is debt. But Fortunately, at a community college, it's not going to be into the $100,000 worth of debt. That's why sometimes students want to start at the community college. They can go to work as a registered nurse, be making a good income, and then hopefully continue their education so their debt will not be quite so high. Wow. Thanks for sharing those stories. On the debt side, then, I mean, one of my hopes is that after all the COVID craziness passes, that the federal government kind of looks at this too and says, look, when we needed them, the healthcare professionals were there for us moving forward. What can we do to maybe alleviate their debt so that people aren't even worried about debt uh, if they're deciding to dedicate their life to, to nursing or medicine or other careers like that. On the debt, we've seen other fields um, like software, data science, start pursuing these uh, tools called income share agreements where they don't have to pay anything up front, but then once they get placed in a meaningful high-wage job, there's a small percentage of their future income that then gets paid back to the school that trained them. Have you heard of any of these things in nursing? Or You know, there are some federal programs through the Health Re um, Resources Services Administration, HRSA for nursing, especially when it comes to faculty, nurse practitioners, and some of those advanced degrees, 
where if you work in an underserved area, you know, a percentage is then canceled and that type of thing. And you work with both where the school kind of provides you those tuition dollars and then it's canceled. So is there is that type of program. And then for graduates of you know, associate degree programs that work in healthcare facilities, there is tuition reimbursement, especially for advanced degrees to get your bachelor's degree. So it might be either a percentage or some hospitals will say, we'll give you $5,000 a year to continue your education. So there are different programs um, and many of the, you know, the healthcare facilities have those tuition reimbursement programs, which are excellent and, and really do help that associate you graduate to continue their education. That's great to hear. As far as nursing faculty go, I've, I've heard reviews and seen some headlines before about there being a shortage of nurse educators. What's the truth around that right now? It's very true. <laughs> it's very true. I mean, you know, I would, I would say every school, whether it be a community college or a university, you know, they're always looking for faculty. And part of it is because of having to have more education to become a faculty member. Also, there is a uh, discrepancy in pay from clinical pay to, you know, working in academia. So that's somewhat of an issue that comes up a lot of times. And also not only a faculty shortage, but deans and directors in the community colleges, that's a real issue is having a dean or director to oversee the program. And, you know, it's, it's a huge amount of work, lots of responsibility and, you know, something that we're really working on. And I said, you know, when, when I was talking about people perhaps being burnt out after this COVID crisis, you know, hopefully they'll become faculty if, if, if they choose, but we want them to stay in our profession because it's such an amazing and, and very important profession that I think everybody is seeing as we go through this crisis. Definitely. Thanks for clarifying that. My final question is, given that our audience at Osmosis, you know, we have over 2 million health professional students and practicing health professionals, I'm curious, um, you know, what, if any, advice do you have for current students or people considering careers in associate degree nursing? What advice would you give them at this point if they're deciding uh, to pursue it or not? Well, first of all, I think nursing, and I know I'm biased, is an amazing profession, but I think it's amazing because there's so many different things you can do in nursing. Yes, you can be, as people say, a bedside nurse, which is, is wonderful and provides so much, but you can, you know, you can get into education, you can, you know, become a nurse practitioner. You know, there's nurses that get into pharmaceutical sales. I mean, there's just so many things you can do in nursing, obviously. It's a very respected profession, as they say, the most trusted, according to the Gallup poll. So we always want to put that out there. But also, my advice would be, to first of all, you know, really talk to the school, go visit the school, make sure they're accredited by a national nursing accrediting body. Sometimes people don't look into those things. And I want to specify national nursing accrediting body because not all schools, I will tell you, are accredited, especially from nursing side. So I think that's an important thing for people to know ask about um, their NCLEX pass rate as a pre-licensure program that is public knowledge, but, you know, ask about that. Ask about your faculty-student ratio in the clinical setting. Really important things. Ask about where they do clinicals. What type of relationships do they have with their clinical sites? Yeah, there's a lot of questions I think they should ask, but definitely accreditation, cost, faculty-student ratio, types of clinical experiences, might even start asking about the percentage of simulation, 
What I love about that answer is you started with the very high level of why it's so important, like why, why it's so rewarding to be a nurse and then went very tactical too, which is, so I can tell you're an educator, but there's just things they should be looking out for so that they make the most of their education. And so that's all the time we have today, but I'd really like to thank you, Donna, for taking so much time to, to speak with us about your, your career and Odin as well. Well, thanks so much. And I just have to remind everybody that this is the year of the nurse. And, we'll, and who would have thought that in our year of the nurse, 2020, because it's Florence Nightingale's birthday and she's for 200 years and May 12th is our big day. But I think it's in some ways extremely appropriate that we've been through this crisis and it really shows the very importance of our profession. So thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing that milestone too. With that, I'm Shivaglani. Thank you again for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. Podcast.